You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of the things we talk about on the podcast by sending in your questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast, and we have a ton of great stuff to get into. Let's get started. First one today comes from Chris. Chris says, does Jerry Hughes have anything left? I don't even notice him. Do you still see any positives in his game? We need some big plays in the playoffs and hoping he can still deliver something. It's a good question. Jerry Hughes seems to be pretty quiet this season. He still generates a decent amount of pressure. He shouldn't be confused as an elite pass rusher and really never has been. In terms of PFF's pass rushing productivity, which measures pressure created on a per-snap basis with weighting towards sacks, Jerry Hughes ranks 25th in the NFL among NFL edge rushers. The two players in front of him are Emmanuel Agba and Yannick Ngakwe. The two below him are Carlos Dunlap and Brian Burns. And Jerry Hughes is the 36th highest paid edge rusher in the NFL. And so I think he delivers production that is fairly in line with where he's paid. And obviously there's a leadership component to what he brings to this defense. And so I know the thoughts around him have been pretty consistent over the last few seasons. People want more sacks and they say, okay, great, love what you do in terms of creating pressures, but we want tackles behind the line of scrimmage. And I don't know that he's played any worse than he has in recent years, but I will remind everyone that Jerry Hughes has really shown up in the playoffs for this team. Last season against the Ravens, he had the two-sack game, two tackles for loss in that game, made some plays against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and then, of course, going back to 2019, he had three sacks in the Houston game. And so despite some quiet or more quiet than we want regular seasons, Jerry Hughes has been a factor in the playoffs. And so... I think you let him play out this season and reassess his status after the season is over. And obviously his contract is expired. And so you don't have to bring him back. You can let him walk. Maybe there's a value proposition to bringing him back on a very modest one-year deal. If he wants to return, you can certainly work those things out. But he has not been as effective as he usually is. He is effective relative to where he's paid. And... um I understand the wide-ranging thoughts about Jerry Hughes and the appetite for more plays to be made and not just pressures, but Jerry Hughes, for the most part, does his job, but he doesn't necessarily make those dynamic plays with the consistency that I think a lot of people hope for, especially as you look at him as this veteran edge rusher guy that's been around the longest of anyone, and you kind of hope that he would be a more impactful player. But I don't think that's who he is anymore in the NFL. The next one today comes from Real Smith. Real Smith said, you mentioned Josh Allen feeling it yesterday. I am wondering if Josh is inclined to go for the wow pass at home and finds the checkdown style more comfortable on the road. 
So one thing that I've said about Josh Allen quite a bit this year is that he's chasing big plays. And you probably recall that my two most complimentary performances of Josh Allen this year were last week against New England and the Thursday game against New Orleans. Well, both of those games happen to be on the road. Obviously, I loved what he did against Kansas City. That game was on the road. And so I went and looked up his splits in terms of home versus away, and they tell a story here. In eight games at home this year, Josh Allen is completing 60.8% of his passes. In eight games on the road, he's completing 67.1% of his passes. His yards per attempt at home, 6.22. On the road, 7.61. In passer rating, this is a big one. His passer rating at home this year is 85.8. His passer rating on the road is 99.4. And so his metrics are considerably better on the road compared to home. Now, if you extend that throughout his entire career, they still very much favor the road. So for Josh Allen's career at home, his completion percentage is 60.09%. On the road, it is 64.61%. His yards per attempt at home, 6.69. On the road, 7.47. And his passer rating at home for his career, 86.2. And on the road, 95.6. And so Josh Allen has been a more effective road quarterback than he has been home quarterback. And so... There probably is something there that exists that Josh Allen really wants to put on a show for the home fans, and it may lead to him chasing some big plays with a higher degree of frequency than he should. The next one today comes from Corey. Corey says, I think it's safe to say Bill's Mafia wasn't thrilled with Josh Allen's three-interception game. I'm personally not concerned, though, since they were mainly on tip balls. Did you see anything from the Falcons' defense that affected Allen's passing ability? Allen seemed to transition to more of a runner after his third interception. Do you think it was an effective scheme by the Falcons, or was it more about Allen not wanting to put the ball in the air? Any concerns that playoff teams could replicate the Falcons' strategy if this was more than just luck? Yeah, I think you said it well there, Corey. I mean, two of those interceptions were tipped. I still don't think they were great decisions, but they were tipped. And the other was illegal contact potentially on the man who was defending Cole Beasley. And so there are some excuses, I guess, that you can make. I still think that all three were ill-advised decisions at poor times. And I haven't reviewed the All-22 to this point to really point to anything schematically that Atlanta did, but... I feel like this was more of a function of Josh just being unnecessary with the football. And the most important thing is Josh Allen isn't a big-time interception thrower. He's not all of a sudden going to be this guy who throws tons of interceptions. His interception percentage on the season is 2.5%, which is 13th in the NFL among starting quarterbacks, middle of the pack. That's including a three-interception day on Sunday. That interception percentage is less than pro bowler Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford. So I'm just not concerned about 
him being a big-time interception thrower. He's within two-tenths of a percent of Pro Bowler Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert. And I think the important thing that everyone needs to hear from the way I'm answering this question is giving yourself some ammunition because there's going to be debates out there because people are going to tell you that Josh Allen has the second most interceptions in the NFL. And in terms of raw volume, yes, 15 interceptions is the second most in the NFL behind Trevor Lawrence, who has 17. But I repeat, his interception percentage is 2.5%, which is 13th in the NFL. And you heard the names that I mentioned who he is lower than and guys that he is is within two-tenths of a percentage of. And so just look at Josh Allen's career. He's not a big interception thrower, and I'm not going to let one data point in a game against Atlanta where I felt he was chasing some big plays and got a little bit unlucky as the evidence that I'm going to cling to that has me suddenly panicking about Josh Allen becoming a big-time interception thrower. Hey, Bills fans, this is Joe Marino with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about, Get Upside. My listeners are making up to $0.25 for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN and get a bonus $0.25 per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account, and you can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. The next one today comes from Kev. Kev says, Dawson Knox has been relatively quiet as of late. Our defense is starting to key in on him. Is he being used more as a blocker? Are there other factors contributing to this? Would love to hear your thoughts. I would say that Dawson Knox has not been quiet as of late, with the exception of the Atlanta game, where he didn't have a catch, and I think that was more a function of Josh Allen not taking some opportunities that Dawson Knox was available and pushing the ball down the field unnecessarily. And even though the Bills have only dressed one tight end over the last two games, it has not necessarily been this massive increase in Dawson Knox staying in the block. That really hasn't been the case. There's really nothing different about the percentage of time that he stays in the block over the last two games compared to the rest of the season. And so Dawson Knox has been a consistently productive tight end within the context of the Bills' offense and how they like to distribute the football. And I think this is just one game where, for whatever reason, Josh Allen wanted to push the ball down the field. And I have some suspicion that they were chasing some stats and some numbers, and it backfired on them a little bit. And so I think this is a good learning lesson for the Bills' offense, for Josh Allen. Get back on track. Take what the defense gives you. There's no reason to unnecessarily put the ball in harm's way and chase plays. The next one comes from Chad. Chad says, now that the playoff spot is secured, I was wondering if you could pick any three players in the entire NFL to join the Bills right now 
to help us win the Super Bowl, who are you picking? Now, I wonder if my answer here is going to be different than other people's, but I am going with Zach Martin from the Dallas Cowboys to be the left guard. I'm going with Lane Johnson from the Eagles to be the right tackle. And I'm going with Aaron Donald from the Rams to come in and be part of this defensive line. And just imagine an offensive line with Zach Martin at left guard and Lane Johnson at right tackle to go with Morse and Daryl Williams and Deion Dawkins. I mean, you have a wall in front of 17. How are you stopping this Bills offense? How? So I had to go with a left guard and a right tackle. And then Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the world. You put him on this defensive line and let him wreak havoc. The Bills can space the defense behind it very effectively in terms of how they layer the coverage. Put Aaron Donald on that defensive line, unleash him. And my goodness, the impact he could make would be unreal. And so maybe some of you were thinking about a corner to come in and replace Tredavious White or some type of big-bodied nose tackle or Miles Garrett or something like that at defensive end. I got to go with Aaron Donald. And I think his impact would transcend any other player. So Zach Martin, Lane Johnson, and Aaron Donald are my picks. The next one today comes from Steve. Steve says, I loved how often the Bills didn't hide the fact that they were running the ball and successfully ran anyway. They had extra offensive linemen on the field and used Reggie Gilliam as a fullback. And Gilliam had a great block on the left edge on Allen's rushing touchdown to the left. And he had a great seal on Singletary's counter run for the fourth touchdown. Full marks to Reggie. I like that Steve brought this up, and it's something that I tried to say in the Game Reaction podcast when I talked about the Bills rushing offense and that, look, I know it's against the Atlanta Falcons who have a lot of issues on that defense, but we're talking about a Bills rushing offense that has been under the microscope for the last couple seasons. In a game at home where it's cold and there's some snow, and the passing game is not clicking, to me, that was fantastic to see them run the ball that much and do it that effectively in a spot where the other team knew you were going to run the football. They weren't hiding it. They're putting Tommy Doyle on the field as a jumbo tight end. Jake Kumaro's playing snaps as a blocking receiver, and they ran the ball, and they didn't care if Atlanta knew. And so, yeah, it's the Falcons, whatever. But I think the context here really matters. And so I'm with you, Steve. I loved how the Bills were able to impose their will running the football on Sunday. The next one comes from Jason. Jason says, Devin Singletary has looked great these last few weeks since he's become the lead back. Although I'm personally more of a committee guy because relying on one guy in terms of both durability and availability, just doesn't seem sustainable to me in today's NFL. And then he also references Dalvin Cook, Todd Gurley, and Christian McCaffrey. I still think rolling with Singletary is the right decision for the rest of the season, and I know McDermott has talked a lot about a committee, but I was curious your opinion on what you would like to see the Bills do next year at running back and beyond, especially since you're not always going to play in ideal conditions. It's pretty evident we'll need a solid running game 
for inclement weather games. So I agree with everything you said there. First of all, Devin Singletary becoming the lead back for this team has been a positive for the offense. I think it's the right plan for this team. I also agree with you that you want to have multiple backs that you can lean on. And I don't have confidence in any other Bills running back besides Devin Singletary. And so I do think it is important for the Bills to find another guy next year that they trust to give the football to 125, 130, 140 times. And I'm perfectly comfortable with that player coming with a mid-round draft pick. Fourth round, fifth round. Give me Zonovan Knight from NC State. Give me Ja'Shawn Corbin from Florida State. Devontae Price from Florida International. There are going to be plenty of mid-round running backs that I like quite a bit. And running back production is so easy to find in the NFL. So invest a mid-round pick on a running back to pair with Devin Singletary. Zach Moss is your three. And then, heck, if you really feel compelled, sign a veteran. And I'm not talking about a high-priced veteran, but some type of bargain bin player to come in and provide competition and depth at running back. So I'm not looking for a major resource investment. I'm not talking about a first or a second round pick or a massive contract. But seek out a complimentary back that you like in the middle rounds and or a modest investment in a veteran via free agency. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as the NFL season continues its march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and BetOnline is where the game starts. The next one today comes from Edgar, very similar to one sent in by Tom. And both of these guys are basically asking me, what teams do I want to play in the playoffs? Like, what is the pecking order for the wild card matchup? And then Tom took it a step further and said, you know, extend that to the following rounds. What is your pecking order for teams you want to face the most down to who you want to face the least? So here's what we'll do. I'll give you my wild card, and then I'll give you my division winners, which should give you this good overall picture. And I'm going to operate under the assumption that the Raiders and Steelers don't make the playoffs. If either one of those teams make the playoffs, they would immediately become my preferred wild card round opponent for the Buffalo Bills. But I don't think either one of them are getting in. And so in terms of wild card matchups, my first choice is the Los Angeles Chargers. I know Justin Herbert's a good quarterback, but he's a young quarterback with no playoff experience. And I think that's going to matter a lot. We saw Josh Allen in his first playoff game. I'm a big believer that teams and players have to pay their dues in the NFL. And you have to go through some things. And and the Chargers have had some ups and downs this year. They have a lot of things to be excited about, but Brandon Staley in his first 
playoff game as a head coach and Justin Herbert as their quarterback in his first game in the playoffs and a lot of inexperienced players on that team in terms of playoff experience against this Bills team, them coming across the country from Los Angeles to play in Western New York, yeah, sign me up for the Chargers. Number two is the Patriots. I'm very encouraged by the way Buffalo matched up with them in both games, to be completely honest with you. Now, there is that Bill Belichick factor in a third game against him that gives me some pause. But I like the Bills' advantage at quarterback in that game. And then lastly in the wild card round is the Colts. I mean, let's face it. That was the worst game the Bills played this year. Jonathan Taylor is a tough assignment. They have great coaching. They have good defensive linemen. And they're just a fundamentally sound football team. And I think they're the type of team that the Bills can fall into the script that they need to win a game. Now, I don't think the Bills can't beat the Colts. And in fact, I think there's a lot to like about the Bills from the perspective of Josh Allen versus Carson Wentz. And playing them with Tremaine Edmonds and Starla Tulele and having played them once and kind of having a feel for how they want to run the football. So I'm not, like, afraid, but I would, I would prefer the Chargers or Patriots before the Colts. Then when you extend that to the division winners, the team I would want to play most in the second round is the Tennessee Titans. I know they're the number one seed, but... I think they're a bit of an overachieving team. And, um, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, they've got holes in the defense. They don't really have much in the passing game outside of A.J. Brown, who's been banged up all year. Even if they get Derrick Henry back, what's he going to be like with that much time off? So, Tennessee would be my first choice in the second round. My second choice in the second round would be the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, you have to love what Joe Burrow is doing with that team. But kind of like what I said with the Chargers, you got to pay your dues. Zach Taylor's first game in the playoffs as a head coach. Joe Burrow's first game in the playoffs as a quarterback. And so they've got some interior offensive line issues. I'd take it. And then the Chiefs. and. We know that the Bills can beat the Chiefs. They did it this year. But it's hard to beat a team twice. And they've got Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Some good young offensive linemen. Their defense is finding its its form like it does every year. They start off terrible and turn it on midseason. So that would be my order for the divisional round. The next one today comes from Mark. Mark says, does the emergence of Gabriel Davis and Devin Singletary over the last few weeks change your outlook on what we need to target in the draft and free agency. I still think Moss and Singletary have too similar of a skill set and would love to pair Singletary with someone who has more juice, but the urgency to draft one early is gone in my eyes. I also have become very comfortable with Davis as the starting outside wide receiver opposite of Diggs. Curious if you are coming around on them like I am. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I probably was never at the point where I would prefer an early pick on a running back. 
maybe at wide receiver, you guys have already heard me talk about guys like Jahan Dotson and Chris Olave as players I'd love to see in the Bills, but I am all in on the Bills investing in the O-line and D-line with early draft picks. I don't care what's been invested there already. The Bills have to keep going to the well. They got to build a wall in front of 17, and they got to find some guys that can make plays on that defensive line. So keep investing until you find what you're looking for. And you can get running backs and wide receivers and cornerbacks in the middle rounds. Third, fourth, fifth round. Go get yourself some young players at corner and wide receiver and running back. But the Bills need to take advantage of a very deep and talented O-line and D-line class and use their premium assets on players that can help them in the trenches. The next one today comes from Adam. Adam says, your Draft Dudes co-host often refers to you as someone that truly appreciates offensive line play, so this question seems to be right in your wheelhouse. I hear a lot of talk about the low level of offensive line play as a problem league-wide. Why is that? Are better athletes gravitating towards other positions, or have defensive schemes identified flaws in traditional offensive line strategies that have yet to adapt? So I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I'll make this as brief as I can. But I think at the forefront is how the college game is preparing offensive linemen for life in the NFL. Virtually every single college offense is spread, it's air raid, offensive linemen are in two-point stances, and it's a massive shift to what they're asked to do in the NFL where they're going to be in a three-point stance. They have to roll their hips into contact and accelerate their feet, and it's not just positional blocking. So in college, you have positional blocking, angles, timing. In the NFL, it's grown men versus grown men, and you got to move them against their will. And you have to prevent them from going through you. You have to block grown men. In the NFL, you have to block teenagers and players in their early 20s. It's just different. So the scheme and techniques are very different in the NFL than college, and the gap is widening. Now, the NFL is definitely adopting more college concepts, but at its core, it's still completely different. So the scheme, the technique, the physicality, all of that, right, is just so much different. And the college game is doing a poor job of getting these offensive linemen ready for life in the NFL. And overall, what it takes to block a guy in college compared to the National Football League. The second thing that I'll point out is the mental side of the game. You guys watch the Cincinnati versus Alabama game. Alabama ran the football all over Cincinnati. And obviously, they had more talented blockers that are bigger and stronger. But Cincinnati never got out of a 3-3-5 stack defense. They never did anything different. They never run blitz. They never gave a bear front. They never went heavy in terms of box counts. They just stayed in it. And so Alabama was just able to impose their will and run the football all over Cincinnati. In the NFL, that's not the case. It's never going to be the case. And so not only is there a different level of technique 
in power and type of block that you're asked to do in the NFL, but there's a lot more thinking involved because the defense is actually going to adjust to what you're doing. And the last thing that I'll say in terms of these high-level thoughts on this is roster sizes in the NFL. You can only roster 53 players. I know you have a practice squad. And you only can dress like 48 players if eight of them are offensive linemen. And so the NFL just craves versatility. You know that. The NFL craves versatility. And to me, that's a detriment to the offensive linemen because they're constantly moving around. They got to play both sides of the line and they have to play multiple positions. And when that's the case, you never settle into one spot. So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Versatility's great, but when you're cross-trained at so many different spots, it's difficult to become good at any one spot. And it's interesting because you hear coaches and general managers talk about how important versatility is, and then they talk about how hard it is when they have a guy playing out of position. And, oh, John Feliciano, he played right guard this week and had to play left guard, and that's really tough to do, just for an example. And so it's like, all right, well, what is it? And so I think those are my high-level talking points with this, but we could talk about this for a long time. But at its core, I think it comes down to those principles. Last thing I want to get to today is from Roger. And Roger has a good question that we're going to talk about on Friday. And it's one about Harrison Phillips and where he's at in terms of his knee and the injury that he had before the season and what the implications of that are and how that could impact his contract. And so I'm going to talk about that with Dr. Kyle Trimble on Friday. But Roger had an observation that I think is really good, and I want to share it here to close out the podcast. This is what Roger said. I thought the Atlanta game looked like a high school game where one team had a quarterback who was just better than any person on the field. I think we as fans should stop worrying about things like MVP awards and just appreciate the fact that we have a unicorn at quarterback that may not fit the guidelines that some experts are expecting. Yes. And statistically, Josh Allen's a very good quarterback. And he's going to earn a lot of accolades throughout his career. And he already has. We've talked a lot about these statistical achievements that he's accomplished. It's all going to be there. But that also means that you just might have a game every once in a while, like the Atlanta game, where some of those throws were egregious, some of those decisions were egregious, but 17's still the best player on the field, and he could take over games in a variety of different ways, and at the end of the day, he just puts notable stress on a defense. And I think Roger, in his observation that he submitted, just did a really good job of summarizing that in a concise way that really drives home what the Bills have at quarterback and how we should appreciate it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow, we turn our attention to the New York Jets, who are in the way of the Bills becoming AFC East champions for a consecutive season. And so we're going to break down that team. It'll be a comprehensive primer, but we're going to do a little bit differently because we've already done a primer on the Jets, and so we're going to focus in on what that team has become since the Bills and Jets last played, and we'll really focus in on 
the last few weeks where they've shown some life on offense and they've done some things differently. And so we'll talk about a lot of that and what the Bills need to do to win this football game and become AFC East champions for a consecutive season. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.